to me, it's, you know, understanding the business and that's probably one of the most important things and being able to understand accounting, their books, how right. things are put together and be able to spot things that, you know, don't seem right and work with the business owner to try and get them right. And, uh, and like any other business owner, they're trying to watch their expenses too. So if they, sure. and I can guarantee that those policies probably get really freaking expensive. I've been around since 1992 and I've handled, not handled, but I've been involved in all the uh, major storm events since that time, all over, all over and everywhere from Florida, Texas, California. I actually worked on the deep water horizon claims too, uh, which is the same type of work, but of course it wasn't working for or against insurance companies. It was a, a federal uh, project, so but it was the same type of work. Here's how much you're going to pay for this one. Here's how much you're going to pay for this one. Here's how much you're going to pay for this one. And guess what everybody chooses? Sometimes there's what they call in some policies claim or claim preparation coverage, which will pay for some or all of my bills so it doesn't come out of the insurance pocket or anyone else's. Really? Uh, yeah. Now it's not that I know, like in the, in the better policies they'll have that. And I, they've had, um, typically they'll have a, you know, sub subsection in the uh, deck page and it will have limits of from 5,000, but I've seen them and I've actually been paid on one up to a hundred thousand dollars of coverage. And frankly, a lot of us get a bad rap. A lot of people say, well, you're just uh, taking advantage of the insurance company. You're just inflating the claim. You're just doing all these things when all we're doing is, and I'm really happy to have someone who's, who does something, basically something completely different than say what we do in a way, but you're still advocating for the pol policy holder. You're still looking out for the little person because you know, and I know that we're going up against a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, that's one of the things that I enjoy the most about it, uh, working on the uh, policy oversight is working with public adjusters. What's up, advocates? And welcome back to another episode of the Claims Game Podcast. Today, I've got a very, very special guest, someone extremely unique that you've never heard from before. But before we get into that, make sure you check us out online. Go on www.commercialclaimsadvocate.com and we've got all kinds of things happening. We are growing like crazy. We've got all kinds of new events that we're putting on. Uh, we've got our Miami meetup coming up on November 19th that we'd really love for you to come out to. We've got sponsors. We've got speakers. It's going to be incredible. And then we've got a ton of meetups coming up all over the country. Uh, coming up in 2022. We've also got our course. We've got some video courses that we're going to line up for you for you to go ahead and you could actually purchase online and you could watch at your own leisure. Uh, we've got consulting that we're really putting together that you're going to be hearing about very, very soon. And also, of course, you could, you know, check out this podcast on YouTube, uh, on Spotify, on iTunes, and on Google Podcasts. So pretty much wherever you normally get your podcasts, you can catch out, you can catch the uh, Claims Game podcast. And also, of course, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Today, we've got a forensic accountant. That's right, a forensic accountant. We've never had somebody like this before, and it's really, really exciting that we've got that. Uh, we've got Bruce Smith. Bruce Smith is the owner of his own company. His, his name is Bruce D. Smith, and the name of his company is BDS, his initials. Uh, Bruce Smith is not only a certified CPA, he is a CFF, which is a certified financial forensics accountant, and a CFE, which is a certified fraud examiner. 
I mean, the guy knows his stuff. He has been in forensic account. He has been a forensic CPA since 1992. Since actually before that, uh, but he was working for the other side for a year and a half, and he decided to start his own business as a forensic accountant, as an advocate for the policyholder. That's why I love this interview or this conversation so much because he is not that much different than a public adjuster. He just focuses on business interruption. So for those of you that don't know a lot about business interruption, this is the episode to understand exactly what goes on behind the scenes of a large commercial loss like hotels, grocery stores, and big-time businesses on the on the business interruption that takes place from the date of loss until the actual building is put back together again. He started in 90, 1992 in Miami, Florida after Hurricane Andrew, and he's been doing it ever since. This guy's got a ton of experience. He's an expert as well, an expert witness when it comes to being in trial, and the guy just knows his stuff, and he really breaks down the process of what a forensic CPA does. So uh, just one of my favorite. I know I say it all the time, but this one was really good because it's so unique. It's not a public adjuster. It's not a roofer. It's not a contractor. This is a forensic CPA, a forensic accountant. Uh, I want you to make sure that you could find um, Bruce D. Smith on his website. It's bdscpacfe.com. I know a little bit, but you could see that. You'll see it in the show notes. Uh, you could also find Bruce on LinkedIn. That's how I first heard about him. He actually sent me a message on LinkedIn. And after having a conversation with him, I knew I had to have him on the podcast because he's so unique. So you can find him on LinkedIn and I'm sure you could find him on Facebook as well. So please, please, please enjoy this incredible and unique podcast um, experience here on the Claims Gain podcast with my new friend, Bruce Smith. Welcome to the Claims Game podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. All right. Very excited today. Um, we have a very unique guest, a very unique guest, someone that actually uh, sent me a message on the on LinkedIn. Uh, we went back and forth, spoke over the phone, and I was very intrigued uh, by what uh, Mr. Bruce Smith did for a living. So we don't have our typical roofer or public adjuster or contractor or whatever. We've got somebody who's very unique uh, in this insurance claim industry that we are in. Uh, Mr. Bruce Smith is a forensic CPA. So for those of you that have large law or anything like that, and you've got a lot of contents to look after, or you've got a lot of ALE to look after, or you've just got a business interruption, and you know they need to make up for all this money as a result of a massive loss. He just told me, Bruce, you told me about a $150 million claim. Um, this is where we're going to get that information. So I am actually more interested than any of our guests, Bruce. <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to be asking questions just so that I can educate myself. Because I tell people all the time, this podcast is not about them. This is about me. I want to learn more from the people that I'm talking to. So, Good. Bruce, why don't you um, – thank you for coming on. First of all, I really appreciate you taking the time to do it, even though I had to cancel on you twice because I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> Actually, what happened today, I had two umpire inspections, Bruce, and um, – one of them was at 2 o'clock, and we're talking now at 4 o'clock, and he asked to move it back to, like, 3.30, 4 o'clock, and I told him, no, cannot do it. I've got an appointment with Bruce that I've already canceled on him twice. If I do this now, he will never speak to me again. 
<laughs> not true, but I appreciate it. <laughs> so, Bruce, uh, I guess if you could just let the audience know, if, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do, and then we could just take it from there. Okay. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of background for me. I've, uh, I'm going to go way back. I'll pretend I'm almost like in a deposition here. Uh, I uh, graduated from the University of Wisconsin a long time ago, back in 1976. And then I worked as a controller, financial controller for a uh, retail company in Wisconsin for about 12 years. And then I got a job offer. Actually, I'd met my wife on a business trip down in Florida. So I ended up, uh, she ended up coming with me up to Wisconsin for four years and couldn't stand the weather. And so we moved back down to Florida and I got a job with a uh, big four, it was a big four accounting firm at that time, uh, Arthur Young, which became Ernst & Young. And I worked in auditing. Uh, I later found out about a job in my business that a professor that I knew at the university down here said, you know, he knew I wasn't that interested in the audience, kind of boring. So he said, I know a person that is in the insurance industry that does accounting work. And I'm going, I've never heard anything like that. So I interviewed with the person, he hired me, and he does the type of work that I do now. And, but it was strictly on the insurance company side. Uh, my clients or his clients actually were all, all the major insurance carriers, property insurance carriers. So I worked for him for about a year and a half and decided, well, you know, I think I can do this on my own. So this was about 19, beginning of 1992, I jumped out on my own, knew a couple people, had a, whole, a family and uh, I was going, oh my God, what did I do? And, uh, <laughs> but what ended up happening, I don't, I don't know if a lot of your listeners were around at the time, but in August of 92, Hurricane Andrew came through uh, South Florida, where I'm located. And so I ended up meeting a lot of people that probably would have taken me years to meet because they had all the, I'll call them heavy hitters down there because it was such a large storm. And it got me going. So I had my own little shop that uh, I've been around since 1992. And I've handled, not handled, but I've been involved in all the uh, major storm events since that time, all over, all over and everywhere from Florida, Texas, California. I actually worked on the Deepwater Horizon claims too, uh, which is the same type of work, but of course it wasn't working for or against insurance companies. It was a, a federal uh, project, so but it was the same type of work. So you said when you started, you were working for a company or you're working for someone that had only carrier work, insurance yes. company side work. How long did you work with that person? About a year and a half, two years. And what made you, did you say that because you had a family and stuff, that, what made you make the switch? Uh, I made the switch because, well, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have bosses that you don't care for it too much, but that, that was part of it. And part of it was that I just felt that I understood it well enough to possibly break out on my own. And uh, I've always wanted to be a business owner. Um, I'm more of an entrepreneurial person than a, a worker bee. And uh, I made the break. Well, why didn't you stay on that side? What what made you want to, I guess, probably the bad taste in your mouth from your, from your boss? Yes. Um, I, don't worry, don't worry, nobody's listening, nobody's listening, okay, it's just you and me, you can say whatever you want. Right, and I won't mention any names, but in general, 
not that there aren't good insurance people. There are a lot. I have a lot of friends that are on the insurance company side that I think are really decent people. But there's enough people that aren't decent people that aren't really out to help the policyholders, you know, get what they deserve. And that's all you can ask is for them to get what they deserve under the coverage. And I just saw a lot of people that weren't like that and it bothered me. I, I didn't feel comfortable doing what I was doing. So that's that's awesome. I mean, because this is it's what I I'm a I'm an advocate. You know, most of the people that listen to the show are public adjusters or contractors. And all of us basically advocate for the policyholder as well. And frankly, a lot of us get a bad rap. A lot of people say, well, you're just uh, taking advantage of the insurance company. You're just inflating the claim. You're just doing all these things when all we're doing is, and I'm really happy to have someone who's, who does something, basically something completely different than say what we do in a way, but you're still advocating for the pol- policyholder. You're still looking out for the little person because you know, and I know that we're going up against a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. You know, we're going against a huge industry that they've got all the heavy hitters on their side. You yeah. know, and it's nice that so quickly in your early, earlier in your career, you realize, no, this is what I want to do. I want to advocate for the policyholder. I want to help them. Was there like a specific instant instance uh, in your first year and a half there where you were just like, nope, this is not the side I want to be on. I need to go to this side. I don't think there was a it was just a continual uh, trend, I'll, I'll call it almost of just always trying to find ways to um, lower the claim to, I'll, I'll say, cheat the policyholder. And, and sometimes in business interruption work, it's, there's, a, there's always a gray area because you're doing projections of uh, what the insured would have done as far as uh, profit-wise had the uh, occurrence, lost occurrence not occurred. And so there's, all, it's, there's always a little bit of gray room. And, and what the insurance company does or they typically hire someone, someone had their one house uh, account accounts, you know, forensic CPAs, but a lot of them, there's a lot of big, uh, insur- uh, I'll call them for, uh, insurance company forensic accounting firms that they'll hire. And, and what they typically do is in that gray area, they'll always, most of the time, I won't say always, no one, no one does something always, take the lower part of that gray area. And what I try and do is get the upper part of the gray area. I'm, I'm not going to go outside of that. That doesn't do anyone any good. You know, it causes a claim to be claimed to be delayed or denied, and you don't want that to happen either. You want to get you try and get what the insurance, what the insured should get under the policy coverage. And so there's always a that's where the argument is. The big argument is is it the lower part of the gray area or the higher part of the gray area? And whoever does the most amount of work and has the most supporting evidence is the one who wins the battle. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's the exact same thing that public adjusters do. It's yep. like the exact same thing. Is the insurance company comes with their lowball estimate that they they're just leaving out all these little things. I tell people all the time when they call me, uh, "What do I uh, should I hire a public adjuster? Why is it that they're going to get me more money?" And it's simple little things, and I'm sure you see all the time. And for us, it's usually in regards to the build back. They'll put one coat of paint instead of two coats of paint. They'll detach and reset this baseboard instead of replacing it. They'll detach and reset a countertop instead of replacing it. All those little things that you see, where sometimes it looks like, well, they included everything. Like, no, they didn't. They decided to sort of take out these little things here and there. And I know some people that do both sides, that they work carrier work as well, and the carrier will send them an email and say, hey, um, fix the depreciation amount here on this one. Make it 10 years instead of five years. 
Um, sure. uh, uh, take out this overhead and profit over here. Take out this light item here. And then, you know, we'll work it like that. When the person that wrote the estimate put it in there because it needed to be in there, but the carrier sent them, sent the estimate back, sent them an email saying, no, 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 I need you to take this out, this out, make a change here, make a change there, and this is what we're going to pay. Yep, yep. It's exact, you know, it's the exact same thing. Um, That's awesome. You, know, you just have to work hard and uh, try and, I mean, everything that they're entitled to, the policyholders entitled to, you have to put it out there because insurance companies, even though they say that it's, you know, their policyholder, that's not really true. They're a business, like I tell people, they're yeah. a business like anything else, and their biggest expenses are always going to be, um, it's going to be uh, obviously employee payroll and claim payouts. Those are always going to be the two. And they're always going to try to find one way or the other to try to, you know. And then the other thing is actually, you know, I'm sure you would know, they get audited at the end of every year and their claim payouts need to be less than their premiums earned. It's just very simple. Sure. So it's just it's just math. Um, so I, I kind of know the answer to this question, but I think just maybe for some people that want to sort of understand the difference, uh, what's the difference between a normal a CPA and a forensic CPA? Okay, I, I'll call it a, since you called it, a normal CPA Typically, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> whatever that means, uh, they, I consider that someone who does typical accounting type of work, which is mostly tax work. That's what most CPAs do that aren't in this type of work or they and they go into, a, I'll call it bookkeeping, but it's a little more sophisticated than that. Um, a forensic accountant like myself, They'll deal in work with, well, my particular areas in insurance companies, but there's also other fields what they do, like divorce work, uh, you know, working on divorces, you know, they have to figure out what one of the spouses is making, or they'll do personal injury work, uh, looking at losses that way. But we, we typically dig a little bit deeper into the books and are able to gather all different types of information, put it together and fit it in with the policy. I'm talking about the type of work I do with the insurance company because it's a combination. My work is accounting, of course, but also it has to fit in with the contract, the insurance contract. So it's it's a little more specific, a little more detail oriented. And um, could you could you elaborate on that a little bit? Why is it more detail oriented? What is it like? Can you give me an example? Well, I mean, typically, it depends on the the client I'm working for, um, the insured. Uh, a lot of them are very unsophisticated as far as bookkeeping. You know, there might be mom, pa type of places. And then there's other ones, you know, I've worked for, like the large claim that you mentioned in the beginning, you know, big governmental agency where they have, you know, audited books and, you know, everything has to be perfect. Um, so the typical client for me might be a, Hotel, I do, I do a lot of hotels, uh, especially like in Texas, um, where some of them are very sophisticated. Again, if they have a, a brand name like a Hilton or a Marriott or something like that, other ones are small independent hotels. So I have to like piece together, almost do their books for them, ask them for the right information and then kind of piece it together to fit in with the policy. So it's, it's a little more, I guess that's what I mean, my detail oriented. I have to grab this and that and put them together and mix them up and present a claim 
And how much more detailed is it than just having, let's say, Hilton? Obviously, they've got their own accountants. They've got their own people. They've got all these, you know, I'm sure they've got a huge staff that just looks after all these things. Oh, how much different is it that when you come in and you actually present the claim to the insurance company that as opposed to them just, hey, calling their accountant or calling their entire accounting department, hey, we need this, this, and that, please submit to the insurance company, and that's it. Yeah, well, typically those people are, are really busy people, and they're willing to pay for a service like mine because they've got enough on their plate anyways. And, and they don't really, sometimes they have risk managers at their hotels if it's a really big place. Other times they don't. And the ones that don't, they really don't understand insurance and they, and, and they really don't understand business interruption insurance more than, you know, they know if they have property damage, they know to get the invoices and they're the hire a public adjuster or, or whatever. Uh, but for business interruption, a lot of them either don't want to deal with it or um, they just don't understand it. Again, it's just funny. I'm sorry I keep going back to this, but every time you're talking about it, almost it's so it's so close to sort of what we do. It's like hiring a public adjuster is not necessary. You can go ahead and do it yourself if you want. But, you know, we know, like you know, how the insurance policy reads. We know how to review the insurance policy. You look at business interruption, exactly what you could present to the insurance company, what maybe you can't present to the insurance company, what they're going to pay for, what they're not going to pay for. And same thing goes for public adjusters. We're always looking at all these specific things to make sure that we could present it to the insurance company in a way that they'll review it clearly and make the payment that we need them to make to the client so that they're actually left whole, you know? Yeah. Um, one, one another thing too is that a reason, I guess, a selling point that I use a lot, and it's true, is that because I've done so many of these and been, I guess, been around so long, um, I've developed a lot of relationships with the other side where we can work together. I mean, once in a while you run into a bad person, that's difficult, but in general, we, we kind of all know each other and um, we can work as much together as possible and get things done. So, But that's the way to do it, right? Yeah, that's what why, you want. Really. Why go in adversarially when you could go in and actually have a nice, good, positive relationship? Let's sit down, let's figure this out, and let's get them paid. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to agree on everything, but if you can agree on, you know, 90% of the things, you know, you're way ahead of the game. So I want to clarify. So mainly what you work in is business interruption, right? Correct. I think business interruption is something that a lot of people are – it's, it's – um, not a gray area, but I think it's a little bit of a confusing section uh, of the policy. It's something that is, is very difficult for at least all the claims that I've handled. Business interruption is something I don't really want to have much to do with unless it's like a home and it's like a lease agreement I provide. Um, as far as a home is concerned, like um, um, additional living expenses, I could just provide a lease agreement. They pay that. Very simple. Uh, if it's a small business where it doesn't get too complicated uh, or they just lease the space, again, I provide a lease agreement. Like That's sort of my limit of what I do with business interruption. Um, I guess I don't think I, I'm trying to think of a specific question, uh, but maybe can you, maybe if you could think like that $150 million claim, maybe if you want to, if, if you could elaborate a little bit about sort of the intricate details, uh, some of the things, what are some of the most important documents that you need, uh, that you need to gather in order to present this business interruption claim accordingly so that it's paid in full? Well, that, that large claim I was talking about, I don't know if that's the best one to talk about because it's kind of you a could, unique unique you can, claim. 
you can talk about a different one. I, I would like to yeah. simplify the. Uh, I would like to simplify the process. Your process uh, for those of, right. for those people that don't really understand how complicated business interruption can get. So I want you to simplify a right. complicated subject. Okay. All right. Um, the typical uh, business business interruption claim is this is what I do from my, from my standpoint. The first thing I want to look at or I request is the policy and the declaration page for the business interruption claim. And I like to see actually the whole policy because sometimes there's, there's other things in the policy that might relate to the business income or business interruption claim that's not titled business interruption. For instance, they might have in a lot of, in a lot of policies, extra expenses included with business and income, business interruption losses, but a lot of times there's a separate area for it. So I like to, that's one reason I like to see it. Sometimes there's what they call in some policies, claim or claim preparation coverage, which will pay for some or all of my bills, so it doesn't come out of the insurance pocket or anyone else's. Really? Uh, yeah. Now it's not that I know. Like in the in the better policies, they'll have that, and I, they've had um, typically, they'll have a you know sub subsection in the uh, deck page, and it will have limits of from 5,000, but I've seen them and I've actually been paid on one up to $100,000 of coverage that they'll have to pay someone like myself or an architect or someone, but they won't pay, unfortunately for you guys, they, they won't pay the public adjuster's fee, but, <laughs> but people like We're myself. used to that. We're used to yeah. that. That's okay. So that's pretty cool. So they have a, a, plain, a claim preparation sometimes. That's one of, probably one of the first things that you look at. Right. I look at that and then the coverage too. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little bit of a story of, of why I make sure that's the first thing I do is get that policy and back page. I was, I was uh, brought in on a claim in Texas, a big warehouse. It was like a, I don't know if you call it an ice house, but fro where they stored frozen food. It was a gigantic building and they had roof damage there and it was a big claim. And they had an attorney involved and a public adjuster. And it was actually in, in Harlington, Texas. And so like I went down there and after they hired me and said, we want you, this is, I met the owner and walked around and huge holes in the roof. And so they said, we gotta get you going right away. So they showed me the building, the big warehouse and got me working on it. And I requested all the information, did my whole thing, a lot of time traveling back and forth a few times. And the end result was that particular location wasn't covered under business business interruption coverage. Wasn't covered. Was not covered. Ugh. That location one, building five, location one, where the damage was, did not have business interruption coverage. And this, <sighs> and there was an attorney. I mean, I, I always took it for granted that, you know, the public adjuster and or the attorney would know that before they even hired me, and. I know I don't I don't trust anybody anymore because wait a minute you worked <laughs> the entire claim and then you found out at the end. Yep. So I did the attorney pay you? Did the attorney pay you anyway? He I hope he, so. He paid me some, not all. Of it. I I I took a hit. I mean, he's a good guy and he's given me business after that, so I hate it. But it was just embarrassing. Plus, it it was yeah, angered me. I didn't like I, it. I don't I, like be put in a position like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I'd be lying if I told you, you know, mistakes has never happened to me. I mean, mistakes happen. Yeah. That's a pretty big one, but you know, I mean, it happens. At least you learn, yeah, no, right? It'll never happen again. I learned, I learned my lesson. So, 
going back to that, so I always get the policy and the deck page and make sure I read it carefully and look what the coverages are and make sure that the location is covered under business interruption, not just property coverage. Um, and then what I do, <clears throat> I get an idea from, I like to talk to the business owner or the public adjuster or the attorney, whoever's involved with the client and have the client there and tell me about his business, what they do, how they earn money, how they were affected by the damage. And then I also talk about what type of records they keep. Um, and then I send out a request for information. And with my business, like we were discussing a little bit earlier, I can do, I'm very rarely called into a, a location. Uh, I really don't have to see the property damage like an adjuster does. I just have to know what type of books they have. I have to know about the, what kind of business they do, what they might've lost. And I can handle everything uh, electronically. The request so, for information, you send that to the insured? Yes. The insured or sometimes the public adjust likes right. me to send it to them and have that connection. A lot of times they don't want to be involved at all. And they just say, just do it. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't even want to be involved at all. Uh, okay, so that's that's pretty cool. So you, you obviously you review, you review the policy, then you have a conversation, sort of like a screening of the of the insured, find out a little bit about the business and things that go on, and then you request for information. What are some of the things that you're usually requesting that really just sort of helps you put together and map out that that sort of story, I guess, as to what's going on? Okay. Um, look, I mean, every business is a little bit unique, but some all the businesses I request certain records. And typically, uh, for all the businesses, I'll request uh, tax returns. A lot of times, people have they're a little bit paranoid about, but giving their tax returns away because they've got their you know federal IDs or social security numbers on there. And but I always tell them you know it doesn't go any place. And everything that once the claims are done, and I'm sure there's not going to be a lawsuit or something like that. You know, I destroy the you know the tax returns. I shred them and they're gone. Or if they want them back, I'll mail them back. I don't really care. Um, so I always request at least a couple of years of tax returns, uh, profit and loss statements if they if they do generate them. Some companies, you know, they do it once a year so they can prepare, so their accountant can prepare a tax return. Some will do them monthly, which I hope they do. And the same thing, I will request a couple of years of those. I need to. I also request payroll records because. A lot of the policies, business interruption policies. Payable? Payable records? Payroll. I'm sorry. Oh, payroll. payroll. Okay. Okay. Yes. A lot of the policies, for instance, this, this is State Farm, they'll pay for payroll for the first 90 days, ordinary payroll. So if you if they pay their their employees, their clerks, whatever, for and they have to incur the expense. They can't just say, well, we normally pay these people. We laid them off, but you know, we want the money anyways. They won't pay. You have to actually incur the expense for the insurance company to pay you. So, um, you State Farm. You have to. So you said they'll pay the first ninety days, and then it has to be incurred after that. No. Yeah, they have to actually. Let's say the data loss is today, September September ninth. Um, if they continue to pay their employees during the next ninety days, they'll oh. pay. They'll pay for that expense. But if they say, sorry, everybody, you know, there's fire here, we got to lay off. And then you put a claim in for that payroll saying, well, this is at our normal expenses. They'll say, well, did you pay them? Huh. And you say, no. Well, why would we pay you if you're not going to pay them? So it okay. makes sense. But but the reason why I request it is because. Yeah, but it sucks. Maybe they didn't know that they could get that money and they just laid off, I don't know, 100 workers or something. 
Yeah, I mean, they could keep their people under, you know, using of course as example again, 90 days. After that, they cut you off, but they will pay, that's what they call ordinary payroll. That's typically your non-management, non-officer, people like the management and the officer, they'll pay after that up to their policy up to like 12 months. And oh, okay, gotcha, got you. So the 90 days is only like like leadership, like people who are in the management level. No, it's the other way around. 90 days is for the people that are not management, not officers, not owners. They'll pay them up up to 90 days if you pay them. If you don't, you won't collect. But the owners don't keep on paying if they normally draw a salary. They'll they'll pay them up to the end of the period of restoration, whatever that is. And I can imagine, God, three months, 90 days, that's not enough. I can imagine for a lot of the claims that you're dealing with, it's its a year or two years uh, yeah. of, of, of restoration, of litigation, of just the whole right. process. Well, what you have to do then is not buy state farm policy. You have to buy something. You can buy, you can buy the coverage, but a lot was, of people, you know. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, what's the loophole, Bruce? But no, we don't have to get into that. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, state farm policy, we could, that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other conversation that we could get into. Sure. sure. Ta- tax returns, PL, payroll, anything else? Um, let's see. Payroll. Or if there was anything you'd want to expand on that, I don't want to cut you short. Um, no, I, I think that that's the main reason I like to get a, know who the management is and who the, the normal, you know, clerks, whoever are because of the coverage issue there. So I, I get that for, you know, maybe a couple, it depends how long the period of restoration is going to be. Uh, does that, should I explain what the period of restoration is? Is that, that's a term of the business interruption policy. Yeah. I mean, for those of you who don't know, period of restoration is just the time it takes from the date of loss until the property is completely restored. Perfect. Right. I better right. know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, what was I going to ask you? Uh, payroll. I mean, I was, uh, yeah. I was going to just expand on that a little bit. You know, in the business interruption policy, they'll pay for the time period, the period of restoration. And the period of restoration, again, is not totally a, a black and white issue. Whatsoever. It's, Whatsoever. It's, a, it's a very black, uh, gray area. And it's it's really almost a theoretical period because... Yeah, and I want people to understand. It's like I just said. It's it's from the time of the date of loss until the date that the work is complete, that the building or home also is actually put back. So what you're, I think, what you're talking about. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's there is no black and white because if you're negotiating these things while the loss is being investigated, while the loss is being built back, while the loss is still in litigation, like there's just so many things that you really never know sometimes when that period restoration is actually going to end. I deal with right. that just with homeowners claims and small commercial claims where it's, you know, Hey, look, here's what we're expecting. Here's what the GC is saying. It's going to take them this much time, this much time. We need to allot for that amount of time. Right. Yeah. It, that, I mean, that's exactly right. And in the business interruption era area, it's, it's the, the period of restoration is why there's so many, that's probably one of the biggest argument areas in, first of all, it's one of the biggest areas of argument. And the reason why it's so important is that the value of the business interruption is very dependent on how long a time period you're measuring the loss over with. And if you have a period of restoration where it's very undetermined, 
a lot of times the insurance company will argue, well, you didn't move with due dispatch and diligence, I guess sure. that was the legal terms. You didn't, you didn't work as hard as possible. We feel that it should have taken six months if you really right. done it correctly. And then, you know, it takes a year. So that's where you have a lot of arguments and, uh, if things do go to like appraisal, you know, we're not supposed to argue, argue that, but, um, you know, but it ends up being part of the argument anyways, because. Ooh, appraisal, you mentioned that. Um, you said the payroll, that first 90 day thing, you said that's just like a, kind of like a state farm thing. It's like unique or is that pretty spread around all policies? Um, I won't say it's unique. Uh, I would say 50, 50. Some have no, no limitations like that. Some will have 60 days uh, without pay the ordinary payroll. So it goes on. I guess the better the policy, more less you'll see that type of limitation because you're usually paying more. It's covered. It's covered. And they don't give anything away. I mean, you're paying for it somewhere. So, of course. Um, okay. So let's go. When do you, when do you get into the nitty gritty of like, of like, I know you got the profit and loss. Do you look at any like cash balance statements at all? Um, not really, right? I don't no, not, not that much. The only time I, I ever get involved in that is once in a while I'll get, I'll get a claim from an attorney where there's uh, uh, they have like a financial motive type of claim. It's really not that much of insurance. Well, it, is, it can be if it's employee dishonesty claims, but in general, I, I don't get involved in, you know, looking what their cash balances are that much, unless it's a financial motive type of claim. When, they're trying, trying to prove someone burned the business down and that type of thing. Right. Um, does the profit and loss really tell you everything or do you have to look at, do you have to ever go to like through credit card statements and actual like statements and line items and like you're going to have to get, or, or do you have the insured do that? Where if you I, look at something, Hey, uh, here are all my issues. Like my, like my bookkeeper, like every month when I give him my books to, to give me my P and L and my cash balance every freaking month, it's an email. All right. Here's all the ones that I don't understand. Please clarify. Is that basically what you do? Right. I, I tell them to do that. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't want to get involved in that. It takes too much time. And, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, I don't want to go back and forth every two minutes and say, what's this? What's this? Like you make your bookkeeper do. <laughs> I don't want to do that. He makes me do. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. He makes you do. That's correct. That's correct. So you go tax returns, P and L payroll. Um, it all seems pretty simple up to now. When does it start to get a little complicated okay. and when do you start to fall into like the gray area of some things? Okay. Well, Let's go again with the hotel, uh, the hotel business. There's other things that I asked from them. I'm, I'm going to get into a little more specific type of documents for this particular business. They have a, a report that a lot of them purchased from a organization called the, the Star Group, S-T-R. And what they do, they have all kinds of statistics on hotel occupancy, average daily rate, revenue per available room, things like that. And it has the people that subscribe to that have to put, have to take their statistical information and present it to this group. And so what you have, you have, you know, they divide it into subgroups and present a whole bunch. I guess uh, I'll simplify it. They give you information where you can compare yourself to similar hotels. So, in a case, let's say if there's a fire <clears throat> in a hotel 
And what I'll typically do is request those reports and see what other hotels are doing around that area and say, and, you, and what they do, they show, let's say if your hotel normally, I'm gonna make a number up, does $100 per day and your competitor does $120 per day. Well, we can take what they did and discount it by 20% and say, this is what your hotel would have done had it been open during that time period. Does that make sense? Because it's 20% less? Right, right. So if over the over a long period of time before the loss, if you're always doing 20% less than the other hotel, and that other hotel is still open during the time you're closed, you could say, well, you probably would have continued that trend 20% less. So you look at that, what they're doing the, during the, say they were doing after the data loss, $80, well, you take 20% off that and say you were doing whatever that'd be, $64 per night. What about so, just looking at the previous year at that exact same time? Well, you, you can do that too. What I, what I also, there's two different, well, two of the ways that they suggest, you know, the American Institute of CPAs, uh, business valuation group, uh, uh, they use a before, what they call before and after method to project what the business would have done. That's looking, typically what that means is looking over the last couple of years, comparing year to year, and maybe it's going to 20%. So you can you can uh, project the continuing revenue at a twenty percent over the prior year. That would, be the, one, that would be the reason why you can't really go back to the previous year because if they're if they're improving their business, if they're in a workflow, what's the word I'm looking for? If they're you know if they're increasing yeah, in profits, see, then yeah, you want to see if there's any trends in right. the business. Uh, if you just look at last years, you might be helping yourself, you might be hurting yourself, and uh, so. You tip, that's why you typically want to request at least a couple of years of financials before the data loss to see if there is some kind of trend there. And the other uh, method is the market method, which is using those star type of reports to see what the market's doing around you. And sometimes where, where the market method doesn't work, and this is because of the way the policies are typically written out, is let's say if you have a major disaster in the area, like a, a big hurricane, and it knocks out, you know, everybody around, except maybe a couple of hotels that are your competitors. And what's going to happen to those couple of hotels that are open? They'll be booming. So if you use the market data, you're going to show, you're going to say, well, hey, if I would have been open, I would have been doing this. Well, in the policies. In the business interruption policy, there's a little paragraph they have that says you can't. I, I can. I don't have the exact language here, but basically, you can't do that. You can't. You got to look at what you were doing before. You can't say because, you know, you weren't open and you're in this boom time. You can't use the other your competitors. Uh, see, the market. You see what I'm saying? Multi-billion-dollar yeah. industry with very yeah. smart people. They're not stupid. They know what they're doing. Well, you know what? That's that's a recent you know change they made to the policies within the last. I'm going to say within the last five or six years before it was not like that. And people did that and the insurance companies were stuck. What are they going to say? It's not in the policies. So, you know, the, the, uh, the tie goes to the insured. You know? uh, what are some of the things that you're looking out for? What else? What are, what other things, I guess, if we could go back to the hotel example, um, is there like an occupancy rate that you look after too? And like, uh, how in depth do you get what, well, again, I, you know, you look at not only the occupancy rate, but you look at the average daily rate and 
without making it too confusing, what they use, what the, like, for instance, the Star Report used and most hotel owners use, they look at what the what they call the REVPAR is, the revenue per available room. And that's a combination of the occupancy and what they can charge. And they kind of play with those. The owners play with those. They try and charge as much as they can while keeping the occupancy up. So that that's what I, the metric that we typically look at is the revenue per available room. What is your role in the appraisal process? Um, pretty much what my role is normally, but um, I, you know, appraise the business. A lot of times they'll get turned over to me from somebody else. A lot of times um, I'm the, both the, I'll call it the adjuster accountant, you know, I'm the accountant during the adjusting period and also the appraiser. And I've also been an umpire too. Um, you know, do you ever, do you ever, I guess you probably do, you go up against obviously the insurance company's um, forensic accountant and you guys go back and forth and you figure it out, right? Yep. I mean, that's, that's mostly who I ended up uh, dealing with during the time. Uh, usually the adjusters on both sides kind of stand back and just, they take their uh, accountant's uh, report and of course the public adjuster, the, the plaintiff attorney, uh, takes uh, my report and so that's it's not as complicated as i thought it was because i guess if now if we could if we can go to like say a grocery store right i mean it's going to be relatively the same process yeah i mean it is it is it's it's pretty much the same process it's just a matter of to me it's you know understanding the business and that's probably one of the most important things and being able to understand accounting, their books, how right. things are put together and be able to spot things that, you know, don't seem right and work with the business owner to try and get them right. And, uh, do, do you find that a lot of the business interruption policy language, um, do you find it? I'm sure I could probably answer my question, my own question that I'm sure since 92, it's only gotten more difficult. Um, but do you find a lot of things like a lot of unfair things, uh, like let's say where they took out that thing in the policy, which is not really unfair. It makes sense. You know, I mean, if yeah. that, if that hotel is booming now, um, but do you find any other things that are just like make your job a little bit difficult and you have to just tell the client, Hey, look, we can't get this. We can't get that. This is the policy you purchased. What are some of the things? I think one of the, the biggest, and I don't know if I'm answering your correct, uh, your, your question directly, but one of the biggest, I would say, misunderstood concepts in, well, not only business interruption, but also in property is coinsurance. Um, it's a big shocker because sometimes people don't buy enough insurance and they have a coinsurance penalty. And a lot of times they're collecting 20 or 30% of what their loss is because of that coinsurance. And I don't Wait think a minute. Wait a minute. So I know exactly what coinsurance is. What, uh, for those of you that don't know, you have to have at least 80% coverage of what your property is worth. This might be, right. I hope, I hope people don't think, well, this guy's supposed to be an expert that affects your business interruption as well. Or is it the value of business interruption that you have that has to be a certain amount? Is right. It, it's it's the same. It's the same thing. It's separate, but, oh, but it's, it is, what, it's separate. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. So they look at what, what you're, what they do is look from the policy period through 12 months forward, what your profitability would have been. Gotcha. And, and you have to, Make sure you have enough insurance to cover 
they have different percentages, but in your case, you would eighty percent. You have to have eighty percent of that in order to get paid one hundred percent. Gotcha. Okay. Phew. Okay. Oh, I, yeah. I just thought I was. I thought you were telling me that the property damage affected the co- uh, affected no. the the business loss interruption. So again, just to explain, so that we you know we could actually teach people on this on this thing is um, if you have you have to have minimum eighty percent. So let's say the property is worth a hundred thousand dollars, you have to have at least eighty thousand dollars. If you have uh, let's just give an example, $72,000, which would be 10% less than what is actually required. Now, any payment that goes towards what I'm talking about is property damage will be deducted 10%. So if that $100,000 uh, um, uh, property, let's say you get a claim that's paid $50,000, they're not going to pay you $50,000. They're going to pay you $45,000. And the same right. goes with, uh, with business interruption, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So I, I don't think a lot of agents that sell, sell these policies, I don't think they explain those things to the. Don't get me insurance. started. Don't yeah. get me started. My mom, I go to my, change the subject real quick. I go to, my mom still lives in Miami. I go to Miami probably once or twice a month. I obviously go see her and I stay with her. And she's like, hey, uh, the insurance company sent me this. Can you take a look at it? I said, sure. $9,000 property damage limit. $9,000 coverage A dwelling limit. Now, it's a condo, but it's a three-bedroom condo. It's probably 2,500 square feet. It's a pretty decent-sized condo. $9,000. And I emailed, I called the lady. I said, what's going on with this? Well, this is the policy that she chose. And I'm like, she didn't choose this. You just gave it to her. You gave yeah. her three options that, don't, that doesn't even contain a deck page, doesn't have any wording in the policy. It just literally says, here's how much you're going to pay. Here's your, maybe they put the limit in there. Who knows? Maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't. But mainly it's, here's how much you're going to pay for this one. Here's how much you're going to pay for this one. Here's how much you're going to pay for this one. And guess what everybody chooses? So I called yeah. them and I'm just like, you need to change this. You need to change this now. I need a limit of, I don't know, 50, 75, $100,000. Cause again, it's a condo, but yeah, don't get me started. Don't get me started because then when you contact them, they blame you. Yeah. Well, you chose this. And it's like, yeah, but we don't know what we're doing. I mean, thank God you and I, we could read a policy like that and we know exactly, you know, where where the where it lacks, but normal Joe Schmo doesn't cuz they don't know how no, to read it. No, they don't. They don't. All. I mean, it's it's not the most interesting reading, so most people, you know, put it in the file cabinet and don't that's it. No, and it like the and like the insurance company, you're dealing with probably some mega mega business owners. And like any other business owner, they're trying to watch their expenses too. So if they, sure. and I can guarantee that those policies probably get really freaking expensive. They do. So if they could cut a little bit on their insurance, then they don't, but they don't realize what they're actually cutting out when an actual loss does occur and it hurts them in the long run. You ever just, you ever had somebody call you, looked at the policy and you just say, you're not covered? Um, is business, is business interruption required? No. It's an, it's an optional coverage. And, and a lot of, I forgot what storm it was. Uh, it might've been Irma, uh, which went through all Florida, but um, I know a lot of the hotels in the Keys didn't have business interruption insurance. Now who, who wouldn't have, I mean, that's like flat land there. I mean, if any kind of water, it's, or they don't have flood insurance. I mean, God. How's it work with flood insurance? What's a, what's a, how different is it for you? I mean, I could explain to it is how it's it's a it's a big pretty big difference for us. But what's the difference for you? Well, I mean, if it's if it's a covered event, then, then there is no difference to me. But gotcha. um, in a lot of times, 
whether it's flood, whether it's wind, it doesn't matter? No. No, I mean, it, it, again, it depends. Again, that's why I ask for the policy all the time to read that. If it is in there, if there is some kind of difference. In general, uh, if, it's, if it says it's a covered cause of loss, there might be a difference in deductibles, uh, things like that. In most, pol most business interruption policies, the only deductible, quote unquote deductible, is they have a 72 hour wait period. They won't cover you for the first three days. And that's a fairly, since I've been starting business, that's a fairly recent event too, or a change in the policy. When I, during Hurricane Andrew, which was my first uh, hurricane I worked for, worked under, is uh, they had no, um, no 72 hour wait period. So they had everyone and their brother filing a claim for a few days, got two zillion claims, small claims, but you know, from the insurance company's perspective, it killed them. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, for three days for every business that was around, they all filed claims and not that they were huge, but when you add them all together. How do you separate for those businesses or hotels that actually end up reopening, let's say for at least just to generate some income, but still not the same. You still, they're still, you just take the difference of what is normally at this time to now they're reopen, or is it once they reopen, like that's it? Is that period of restoration, is that not considered a period of restoration anymore? No, that's always an argument too. Uh. Um, <laughs> I mean, to me, I always take the position, I mean, I always take the position that until the hotel is back to its pre-loss condition, has the ability to do the same kind of business. Not that they're doing the same amount of business, but they have the ability to do the same kind of business. That's when it ends, once they have that ability to do it. But you have to and, deduct the amount if they're partially yeah. open. Yes, you do. Yes, okay. you do. Now, what, what, what you can, with most uh, ISO policies, um, they will have an extended business income period, which after the period of restoration ends, they'll give you a lot of them have 30, 60 days to ramp up your business. In other words, to get your business back up to where it should be. Because, you know, you were closed, so people forget about you. The, you, know, you have to advertise maybe again a bit more. And so it gives you that extra time to uh, spend the money to get your business back up to normal. So and a lot of times that's optional coverage uh, that you have to buy. Like I say, in the ISO policies, which Probably 80% of the businesses that I uh, am working on business option claims are those policies. They call them a CP0030 and 0032. One has extra expense, one does not. Um, but those, those policy, policies typically have, um, they both have 72 hour waiting periods and they both have extended periods of indemnity. Uh, that's Which what it's called. 36 days. Yeah. That's what it's called. Um, do you find that a lot of your clients end up running out of the business income insurance, like the coverage that they have? Um, not, not a lot of them. I mean, you, typically they, well, I don't know, the word run out. Uh, I guess, what do you mean by run out? That they, just, they, they just reached their limit and they, they haven't, and they haven't finished doing whatever needs to be done. There is a limit, right? Not always. Uh, okay. Some some have an actual loss sustained, which means they'll pay whatever it is until the end of the period of restoration. So there isn't a limit. Um, other times there is, and and there have been times where um, they've ex exceeded the limit and they're they're out of luck basically. Uh, 
Oops, sorry. What's your largest business interruption plane? The largest one was that one in Puerto Rico. One hundred and fifty million dollars. One hundred fifty million dollars, and that was actually I <laughs> I got a call from the the public adjuster who went uh, who I was working with down in Puerto Rico. Uh, we finished the one. There were two losses. The both Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria hit the island about two weeks apart, and we finished the Hurricane Maria one. <clears throat> excuse me, and that was one hundred fifty million dollars. So this guy calls me up like two days ago and said, "You know, we got to finish the Hurricane Irma one." I go, "What? I haven't looked like that in like four years." <laughs> so I got to go dig back into it and kind of figure out what I did at the time because we presented them a claim, but then. Now they say we didn't present a claim and they want to deny it. And so you have to go fight on that again now. So, but it was a lot of fun. And, um, we dealt with, you know, I mean, we had the, I don't know what they call them, the president, the governor. I mean, everyone was involved in that. So a lot of really high level people and those, uh, some very smart people got to work with. I think I know the public adjuster you were working with. I'm sure I know him well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Jack. He, yeah, well, it's a funny story about, I won't mention his name because I don't know if he wants me to or not, but um, he's, <laughs> he's kind of a, yeah, you know, guy, a guy from the South, and he happened to know someone who sold books to libraries in, in Puerto Rico, and he happened to know the person that was, uh, one of the, funny, the bookseller knew this guy who was working at the, this, this big utility in Puerto Rico and they got him hooked up. So he got this kind of rednecky guy going down to Puerto Rico, doesn't know a bit of Spanish and, um, and it got the job. I just know and, the claim you're talking about. I just can't pinpoint. I, I mean, I, I guarantee I know the person that you're talking about. Um, yeah. What was it? What man, I want to ask you two questions. So let me get to my first question. Um, okay. Working insurance company. Forensic CPA versus the insureds forensic CPA. What is that like? What is that? What is that whole thing? That whole communication like? And again, I know it. I know you probably try not to make it adversarial. Um, and I'm not looking for a story where it's adversarial, but maybe if you've got a story of just sort of that process and what it's like when you're presenting your facts and they're countering and you're countering back and you guys are trying to come to an agreement. Yeah. Um. Well, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, one of the, well, one claim that I just finished up on not too long ago was actually an appraisal that we worked on. And it was, um, I believe it was a hurricane armor up in uh, Daytona Beach, business interruption claim on a hotel. And, <clears throat> um, you know, without getting into too much of the details, we both had good, you know, good arguments. I mean, he had a good argument. I understood exactly what he was saying. And I had a good argument too, I thought. And, you know, we had, it was an appraisal and we had an umpire and uh, luckily the umpire thought I had a better argument. <laughs> I mean, he went not all the way towards me, but he, he, he went more towards my number. So what are some of the common disagreements that you have to deal with? Um, well, in this one, in this particular claim, it had to do with which way was the, the best way to project the loss was a, like I described before that market type of uh, philosophy or looking at the before and after. The period of restoration was a big item because the insurance company paid them, I guess they had to 
put on a new roof on the hotel. And they felt that after the uh, certain amount of time after they put the roof on, the period of restoration was over. And <clears throat> from our argument, uh, from the information I got from the adjuster and the contractors that were involved, there was a lot of work that had to be done. It was not right on the ocean. There was a lot of work, a lot of damage that was done. And it was like about, a, this was like about a year and a half or almost two years after the storm. So there was a lot of subsequent damage that just happened by just not repairing it all that time. So you're so, probably, you're probably, especially with that period of restoration, you're in communication with the contractors and their intent to repair and their certificate of completion and all that stuff that you could present so that you could at least, you know, figure yeah. out that timeline. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, that's huge uh, that I, I, I have to have that kind of information to argue. If I don't have it, I'm, I'm kind of sunk. I have to, if, if, either the property owner or the public adjuster or attorney doesn't get me that information. I'm, I have to go with what the insurance company says. And I, I don't like to do that because I, I know they always, you know, work towards the short side of it. What's been your experience working with public adjusters? I, I, I've had great luck with, I mean, and that's one of the things that I enjoy the most about it, uh, working on the, uh, prop, policy oversight is working with public adjusters. Most of most of I, I don't even know if I can think of a bad guy that I've worked with. Uh, I did not. Man. Can you just please <laughs> declare that I did not pay you to say that? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but really, the, most of I mean, I, I I go to a lot of the seminars and uh, different conferences with public adjusters, and it's great people. Really are. I actually have my. Uh, I'm working my son into my uh, business too. He's he's an attorney now, but he didn't didn't like the law practice, so he's st actually starting to be a CPA, and he helps me out a bit too. Uh, and I just tell him, you know, you're gonna love it. It's a great group of people, friendly, nice. Everyone works together, and we're doing a good thing. Would you are PAs your number one referral source? Um, yeah, be attorneys. I'm, no, I, I think I think public adjusters are. Yeah. I mean, and it, I mean, they're all good group. I mean, uh, most of the plaintiff attorneys, again, there's, you know, a few that aren't, aren't the greatest, but in general, great group of people. Great. I mean, I, it really makes it fun. I mean, to me, my job isn't a job. I mean, I, 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 I mean, once in a while, there's drudgery in any business, but in general, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. It's, um, so I could figure out a way that the audience could actually, actually, you know, hire you, call you and use your services and stuff. I know you talk about that in some policies have the claim preparation section where uh, the insurance company will actually pay you. Um, but there are the times where they don't, uh, the, uh, do you, do you do an hourly rate? Uh, do you charge a flat fee to the insured? How does that work? Both. And, and I, and I try and work. I always talk, if I'm working with a public adjuster, you know, depending, if they don't have, let's just say for the sake of argument, they don't have the coverage in the policy. I, I was, you know, very upfront and talk about and discuss it and whatever works out best for both of us, that's, that's what I do. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, because that's always something we're always just like, oh, you know, we don't want to build too much to the insured. Um, yeah. But these people could afford it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I remember Andrew like it was yesterday. I don't want to. I don't want to tell you my age, I guess, but I was. I was. I was. I was young. I was still a kid, and I remember not having to go back to school for like right. three months. And I remember driving outside. I remember sitting in my living room, and that's when we used to put tape on the windows. Right? Yeah, right. Like, like, like it makes a big difference. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> until we realized that it doesn't matter. 
and I just remember looking at those wins. But you know what? I was in um, I my my mom still we still live in the same uh, condo in Fountain Blue area, which is uh, like um, like Flagler and 87th Avenue. Are you familiar with yeah. that area? Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the destruction wasn't too bad. Um, lots of trees went down, but because our power lines are underwater are underground. And that was a wind event. That really was not a yeah. rain event. No, uh, no, we didn't lose power. Yeah, that's, that was great. All our that's friends great. and family were coming over. So what we were doing, I remember, I just remember like it was yesterday, we were taking uh, styrofoam cups, filling it, filling them up with water and just freezing them. We had a big freezer and people were just like coming. All our friends and family were coming over just for, just for ice, you know? Yeah, that um, was, that was, was really, that was the first, I mean, I moved down to Florida in uh, end of 88, 89. You move you from yeah. the cold weather, right? right? Know, you were in Wisconsin, and then you get hit by probably one of the hardest hurricanes, I mean, in the 21st century. Yeah, it was – I mean, I, I went down to the uh, Kendall area and that area. Oh, Kendall was, got ripped. I mean, that's um, right – that's literally right on top of Homestead, which got the brunt of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I've never seen anything like that before, so – did you stay home or did you evacuate? No, we stayed home. We were kind of, I have uh, relatives that live north of me and some relatives that are a little bit south of me. And for some reason, we turned, moved south, which wasn't the smartest idea. But we didn't move that far south. But uh, but we stayed in the general area. I mean, we almost, uh, getting away from Andrew, but I think there was one hurricane that we came about two seconds away from, like, trying to leave. But then we saw what the highways looked like and went, what are we doing, you know? What part of Kendall? Uh, no, I wasn't in Kendall. I was, well, I, oh, I went, when I you, went. When you lived in Kendall, what part of Kendall? No, no, no. I, uh, I, mis- I misunderstood you. I, I never lived in, I went down to Kendall to do oh, work. Okay. And actually work down there with the guys, with the, with the adjusters a little bit. And uh, that's when I, you know, saw that. Uh, I, I can't remember the name. Country Walk, I think it was the name of the uh, complex. Yeah, Kendall. Kendall got hit pretty bad. I mean, I mean that definitely scared straight. That definitely scared Miami straight. I mean, after after that, I mean, I think before that, the worst storm was Hugo or something like that. And then right. Andrew came around. I mean, Andrew just 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 ripped it apart. And then there was some storms in two thousand four. You know, right. there was Irma, and Irma really wasn't. I mean, there was Wilma Katrina. Uh, Katrina was actually a lot harder than anybody thought it would be. I think it was supposed to be a Category 1. I think it made landfall as a 2, and then we all know what happened in New Orleans after right. that. And right. then and then we had Irma about 10 or 12 years after that. You know, people think... It's funny, because I came into this business. Uh, obviously, you, you and I deal with... You deal with a lot more large loss. I deal with large loss as well, but I know that's pretty much, I mean, that's basically, you deal with hotel chains and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, there's really not really, uh, I got into this business because, hey, look at this. We had a hurricane in 2004. We had a hurricane in 2005. We're going to get hurricanes every year. But people don't see that it, it, to specific areas, it's really, especially like in Florida and maybe like even, I mean, even Katrina, now Louisiana, look, that's, that's what? That's 15 years, 16 years. People think it's every year, but it's not every year. It's really pretty spread right. out. I mean, it happens eventually, but it's not like an every an everyday thing. No, it seemed like it. You know, back when her, you mentioned before Hurricane Jean and Francis in, in 2004 or five or so in that area. I mean, it seemed like it's going to happen every year. I mean, it was just like storm after storm after storm, and 
you know, it all gets down to, you know, in any business, you know, just as far as your own personal finances, take it easy. It's not going to be every year. You can't sit there and you can't, you can't just bank on it. What are some of the, what are some of the trends that you see, Bruce? Uh, I guess maybe specific to your area or just in the insurance claims industry in general. Hmm. Do you find it harder? Are you finding it just a lot more difficult? Um, You know what? Knock on wood, whatever. My business has never been better. You know, you know, I've, and I think a lot of it's just being around, you know, going to, network, meet people, talk to people. Um, and I, I think in any business, that's, that's a big part of your business. You know, you have to not shut yourself in and not, uh, you know, work is important and you have to do your work and you have to do it well. We also have to get out and meet and meet people. Well, I'm really happy. Part. I'm really happy yeah. you sent me a message. Uh, and I'm really, cause you're just unique, you know I mean? There's not too many people that do what you do, especially for, for the policyholder. Um, are you going to come to, um, the Tampa or the Miami meetup? When is it? Tell me so when it is. Tampa meetup is, uh, next Friday. That's going to be September 17th. And then the Miami meetup is going to be Friday, November 19th. So two months after that. Um, okay. I think we're expecting about a hundred people, maybe a little more here for Tampa. And we're going to have, I think over a hundred easy in the Miami meetup. And it's basically a room, I would say probably about 60% public adjusters. Uh, then the rest are going to be contractors and attorneys. Uh-huh. Awesome. So now I'll help you sell your thing here. Uh, what, where, where is it in Tampa? So I have figured out, this sounds weird, and I'm going to have to like make a video just to explain why, but Dave & Buster's has been the best place that we have held this event. So uh, the Tampa one, you could just literally Google search Dave & Buster's Tampa. There's only one. Okay. And okay. then there's really only one Dave & Buster's in, uh, in Miami, at least the, the big location, which is in Dolphin Mall. And then okay. they've, got, they've got a room for over 180 people, for up to 180 people. They've got a stage. Uh, they provide food. They provide uh-huh. one drink ticket, you know, and I have enough space where I could actually even have people set up some booths. So we have sponsors now would love for you to sponsor if you are interested. I think, okay. honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if you get a ton of views on this podcast. And I'm speaking, I'm going to put this in the podcast, by the way, um, okay. just because, again, I mean, you don't really, I mean, I'd have to probably do some research, but I mean, I can't 15, 14 years I've been doing this. And I really, you're probably the first forensic accountant that I met that's actually on our side. I'll tell you a a story that kind of backs up what you're saying is I have a attorney friend of mine who does this kind of work and he just changed firms. And he said that, he actually said to me, he said, you know, you're one of the few people in this business and he, and he's been around a long time too. So in a way I am, uh, unique. I, I hate to use that, but there aren't that many people that do what I do on this side of the fence. Just you, yeah, you're an advocate. You're you advocate yeah. for for the like right. like we do. You know, right. and I think I think um, yeah, I think you could really you could really make a splash even after ninety two, two thousand two. How yeah. many years? That's a long yeah, time. A you've long been doing time. This. <laughs> um, but, but I think I like you could, to meet new people. 
I mean, I don't think it's ever too late to make a splash, and I'd love to have you involved. I'd love to have you involved in the meetups because I think I think it'd be very beneficial for you. I think it would also add a little bit more credi- credibility to our meetups as well. And sure. um, yeah, so we have the one in Tampa, and I'd love I'd love for you to come out to the Miami one. I mean, I think that would be fantastic. Absolutely, I will. I well, promise. Bruce. Um, let me just promote you real quick for those who are still listening. Uh, Mr. Bruce Smith. I don't know why I keep saying Mr. Bruce Smith, but Bruce Smith, uh, yeah, his yeah, company yeah, is B is BDS. So it, cause and it's his initials, Bruce D Smith. Um, can I say your phone number? Cause I see it on the sure. website. Go ahead. Uh, Bruce's phone number is 954-755-7981. You could also find him on LinkedIn, uh, Bruce Smith, forensic CPA and yeah, I mean, I would go. Oh, and the website, I'm sorry, is uh, BDS. This is too complicated, Bruce. We need to do something about this. I know. Okay, you got to help me on that. Here we go. BDS CPACFE. I guess, I guess BDS CPA. Right, you got that. And then CFE.com. Yeah. What, is, uh, what is CFF and CFE stand for? Okay, so. Well, I'll go to my web, my website for BDS is my initials, CPA is a, an accountant, and CFE is certified fraud examiner. So that's those are the three things. And the CFF you just mentioned is certified in financial forensics. Gotcha. It's, it's a designation from the AICPA. I have to remember. I do the introduction separately. I need to remember to put your credentials. What are what are your credentials that I besides all these letters? Are there any other credentials that I need to know about? I think that covers it. Because we didn't, I didn't ask you in the beginning. I apologize for that. No, it's, uh, I'm a CPA, of course, and uh, uh, certified in financial forensics and also a certified fraud examiner, which is kind of an interesting route too. Uh, I'd like to ask you about that real quick if you still got some time. Sure. So wait, CFF is certified? In financial forensics. Forensics. And then CFE is certified? Uh, certified fraud examiner. Right. What's up with that? That's a, a group that in uh, Austin, Texas, that started, I think, in the 1990s. It's a group of people that, a really interesting group of people that are uh, a mixture of accountants, uh, police, FBI people, um, uh, anyone involved in cybersecurity. It's all having to do with fraud. Everyone who's involved in fraud or potential fraud, fraudulent acts, all kinds of stuff, embezzlement. So anyways, you have to take a, a big exam, almost not as difficult as a CPA exam, but it, it's very inclusive. It has uh, law, uh, psychology, interrogation, all kinds of interesting things. How often are you called upon as an expert? Um, I've been called on... I mean, I'm always an expert, right? right. But um, I've been called—I've mean. uh, <laughs> been called as an expert probably about ten or fifteen times. Gotcha. Yeah, and uh, you know, been in a bunch of depositions, and uh, you know, sounds great, all good. Have you ever um, have you ever experienced any fraud on the insurance company side, or uh, potential uh, for it? Yeah, there's actually a, a group now, uh, and I can't remember. APA. You got it. Are you a part yeah. of them? You should be. I know you're right. I should be. I I, I will be. I, yeah, I'm a I'm a part of them. Uh, they're they're a fantastic okay. organization. 
I strongly yeah. recommend it. Yeah, they cool. do a lot. They do a lot for us. I mean, it, you know, people think insurance fraud for some reason. They're always thinking policyholder. They think that the insurance company does no wrong. But I mean, some of the losses that they don't pay and some of the things that they take away, probably from some of your reports or some of the other forensic uh, CPAs or from the engineers, you'll be surprised at what they do behind the scenes. No, I I remember that old. Uh case with State Farm, I think it was a couple of adjusters or that turned on State Farm uh, a few years back. I mean, it was like a huge, gigantic lawsuit. Um, I mean, there's, there's, it was it had to do with engineering reports. Yeah. Think, you know, In so. New Jersey, it was bad. For Hurricane Sandy, they, they, were, they were fraudulently uh, changing engineering reports. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be a, a big area where they, you know, a lot of money involved. It's crazy. Like, we don't have enough to fight. Yeah, right, right. All right, Bruce. Again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. That was fantastic. That was extremely unique, something very different that we've never had on the show. So I really, really do thank you and appreciate the time. And um, I hope to actually meet you in person uh, here pretty soon, maybe the next month or two. You will. Thank you. All right, Bruce. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good day. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.